The Big Fight Weekend Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is brought to you by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you in part by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by Roman. Roman is the straightforward way to take care of ED. Just go to GetRoman.com slash SGP and get $15 off your first month of treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash SGP. We're also brought to you in part by the SGPN app. The SGPN app gives you easy access to all of our picks, podcasts, and it's the exclusive place to enter all of our contests, including our $1,000 NBA Finals free roll. Just enter SGPN in the App Store or the Google Play Store. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Indeed, welcome in another edition of our boxing show and podcast. Great to be back with you talking the sweet science here as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast and BigFightWeekend.com. I am merely the somewhat capable host. In a moment, my wingman, the senior writer of BigFightWeekend.com is Marquise Johns. He will be with me. Stand by for plenty of reaction, conversation. I told you so's about the Mayweather Paul exhibition from last Sunday night. All of that is coming straight ahead. Some news of the week, including the heavyweights, including uh, we're learning more about the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight and where it will and won't be held, apparently. Uh, it looks like Anthony Joshua, the unified heavyweight champ over in Britain, will also be fighting. Uh, we'll have an announcement next week on that. We'll have an announcement next week. Sound familiar? We'll have an announcement next week. Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing beep. This is a recording. But Joshua and Alexander Usyk, the former cruiserweight champ, look like they're fighting. We'll talk about when and where coming up in a few minutes. Later on in the podcast, special guest, director of the Showtime uh, docuseries, The Kings, the four-part docuseries, fantastic. We cannot tell you. Uh, enough and urge you enough see the docuseries episode two of the four parts coming this sunday night the director is matt whitecross uh, who is a fascinating guy for a lot of reasons he will talk with great insight uh some great historical stuff including sitting across from roberto duran sitting across from tommy hearns as part of this documentary hear that interview later on in the big fight weekend podcast and of course marquise and i will piggyback off of that and talk more about the documentaries again episode one is already out uh, including on the showtime on demand service and on the app you can see episode one Episode two debuts Sunday night, and then three and four will follow on the next two Sunday nights to close out June. Fantastic stuff with that. And then Marquise and I are going to get together on some fight predictions for this weekend, including the top rank uh, Las Vegas show on ESPN featuring Shakur Stevenson. Fight card as well in England from Matchroom involving uh, Britain's Lewis Ritson. Uh, we'll talk about those fights and the odds, et cetera and much more. Reminder real quick before I get to 
I'm Marquise Johns. However you found this podcast, whether you found us through the Sports Gambling Podcast, their network of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com, they do a great job promoting us. Uh, whether you found us through a social media link, make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Find us, be subscribed up for your notifications, uh, et cetera, on any of the podcast platforms. We come automatically to you in the preview mode on Fridays, but there will be occasions coming up where we come back in the recap mode or if developments warrant. We did a special podcast on the whole Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury arbitration ruling. If you are subscribed, you get an automatic notification when we have a new podcast besides just the preview ones for the weekend when we come back with other ones. So subscribe away, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Okay, here he is. I love the insight. I love the analysis and much more of senior writer, bigfightweekend.com, Marquise Johns, Week Sauce Radio. Good to be back with you. It is plenty hot in the Tampa Bay area in the literal sense, West Central Florida, where we live. Goodness gracious, it's like 100 with the humidity. Things heating up all over the U.S., figuratively as well for boxing. So good to be with you. How are things? Pretty good, TJ. No, summer is heating up here in Florida because it's another miserable, muggy, and rainy Florida summer. But it, it, it's, it's a good thing because at the end of the day, we're getting more fights coming down the pipeline, and a lot of them are coming down, and we're getting a lot more announcements in the next couple of days. A couple oh, of weeks. yeah. A lot of good stuff that's coming. And by the way, we're going to get right into Mayweather and Paul outdoors, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami Gardens, Florida, last Sunday night, where for a rare occasion, we had boxing rain delays, plural, uh, more than a couple of them on the undercard as the rains came in uh, in South Florida for last Sunday night. It's not every day that you see that happen in boxing. Certainly it's an occurrence in baseball or you might see football being played in bad weather. But for boxing, usually we don't have that. But we did have some of that the other night. Let's begin right there. I know we're a few days removed from Sunday night's exhibition. As I jokingly said to open up, Marquise, you were forewarned on this podcast and a lot of other places. This was an exhibition for Mayweather coming off a four-year layoff at 44 years of age for Logan Paul, relatively inexperienced, uh, getting in the ring, even though he's younger than Mayweather and uh, bigger than Mayweather. All right, so uh, it was an exhibition that went eight rounds with no winner declared. Give me your thoughts now that it's in the books, Marquise, to start us off, go. Pretty good, TJ. Yeah, no, what a waste of time last Sunday night was with that Logan Paul Mayweather card, by the way. My biggest takeaway from it, TJ, and it's one thing that I'm uh, that as forever has us all being skeptic, is supposedly this 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 pay-per-view this last Sunday supposedly did a, a million buys, right? But we, we saw TJ the fight itself up and down. It wasn't the best card in the world. Uh, wasn't the most entertaining exhibition in the world either. But more importantly, if this thing did a million buys, I would love to know where this million people were because it looked like a Florida Marlins baseball day game uh, at the crowd last Sunday night, TJ. And <laughs> it's a hard thing to make it to cover up, TJ, about uh, 40,000 people missing from this event because there may have been about eight or 9,000 that's think tops, including personnel, cleaning crew, and security. So, Oh, wow. Well, and so uh, obviously there would be some interest with Floyd. There would be some interest with Logan Paul. We didn't know how much. It's kind of an unknown um, I, I do know this in talking with someone that was there uh, in attendance, that person said to me subsequent to Sunday night, the, I, I said, were there 15,000 people there? He said, absolutely not in attendance. Okay. I said, was it closer to something like 10,000? He said, probably so. He said, most of the 
uh, second and the third ring of the stadium empty. At the end where they had the boxing ring, yes, there were more people in the second level, in the third level. The floor seats, probably several thousand people, but this was in no way, shape, or form like the Canelo Alvarez-Billy Joe Saunders legitimate super middleweight title fight that literally now we found out has had 65,000 people. Actually, they announced 73,000, but they actually had 65,000 in actual attendance. This was nowhere close to that last Sunday. And all right, so we'll, we'll progress to the pay-per-view and the numbers. I, I want your take. You wrote about this for the exhibition itself. Do you want to give it a grade? You didn't grade it in your recap or in the follow-up. Do you want to give it a grade? And what would the grade be for what you saw out of Mayweather Paul? Oh, the, the grade for this fight for the main event, TG, is probably a D plus. Like you, if if you didn't see this fight last Sunday, if to anybody listening, you didn't miss anything. You missed a guy who obviously was 0-1 professionally and in the ring looked like it because uh, he couldn't do anything with a man who was about 50 years his senior or anything doing uh, offensively, just punch-wise. And this was all, TJ, this was all expected. I mean, there's, there's a reason why people consider Floyd Mayweather the greatest defensive fighter of all time. He doesn't get hit. And this is another example of that. And my favorite thing still of his exhibition, TJ, where I realized this was going to go to distance, there was a, there was a, there was a flurry of punches that Jake Paul sort of kind of threw towards the end of the first round. And it may have been about 30 punches. And it, it was like something out of like every like bad boxing movie you've seen where like maybe one of the punches actually landed. So it was a lot of that going on. And it's like, all right, here, here well, we go. And I thought for the first three rounds, Floyd's considerably smaller. We documented this six or seven inches. Got, got six or seven inches less reach. He's given up 35 pounds. He spent two or three rounds trying to figure out, okay, can this guy hit me or not? What are my angles? Where are my opportunities? I want to wear him down a little bit, let him settle in, and then I can pick my spots to come in tactically, pick my angles, and hit him and tag him. And you really saw that kind of in the fourth round. There was not a lot of action in this fight. To your point about Logan Paul, according to the punch stats, 28 punches landed in eight rounds, roughly about three around. Uh, through 73 jabs, which should have been his most effective weapon with his height and his reach, 73 mm -hmm. jabs thrown, seven landed. Terrible. Again, not much was expected from a guy that did not have a lot of experience here, and that kind of played into Mayweather playing defense, counterpunching him some. He tagged him a couple of times in the in the sixth round of the fight. Uh, did not have a did not have a thrilling end. All right, so I will say one more thing here. You get what you deserve because the Paul brothers have obviously great capitalists have capitalized on their fame, on their social media fame. It is almost like circus performers with the stuff they do on YouTube. They talked their way and they promoted their way onto boxing stages, plural now. Logan Paul talked his way and promoted his way into a exhibition pay-per-view with Floyd Mayweather. But I think for the boxing fan now, been there, done that. You've seen it. You don't have to see Logan Paul anymore. There's my take. Follow up on that point. Do you think this is the end of Logan Paul here on a, on a big stage just because he showed nothing against a smaller, older, even slower Floyd Mayweather? What do you say? 
I think TJ only because of the guy, the guy's name, and he was in the last in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. We're going to see this Logan Paul guy again, one way or another. It's going to be in some other stunt as well. I don't think it's going to be any legitimate contest. I think he's going to be part of this circuit for now on because I think the way that originally TJ, the way I thought this was set up was in the bizarre event that there was a ruled, you know, victor of this exhibition, whatever that may be. Uh, that because Jake Paul was in the in the background, he was going to come down, you know, WWE style and be like, "Hey, I'll avenge my debt," you know, brother, et cetera, et cetera. But now that this is all just a wash and for fun and for kicks and giggles now, no one wants to see Jake Paul versus Mayweather because we, we've, we've seen this cartoon already now at this point, as you, to bring to, to Pierre your point. So I don't know where, where Floyd even goes from here at this point because we've seen this. Actually, I think this, he's this, this, done. He fought yeah. his come out of retirement fight with Conor McGregor and won it and made tens of millions of dollars, whatever he made, 40, 50 million at the end of that one. My understanding again. I've talked to a couple of people that he was guaranteed Floyd at least 30 million, at least 30 million Oof. for this fight. And it may end up being with all the sponsors and the pay-per-view take and everything that he makes 40, 50 million or more uh, off of this fight. I don't think we see Floyd again uh, just because I, I don't know what he does next, but I think even he acknowledged, he even said after this fight, I'm not 21 anymore over and over again. And, and his skills aren't going to get any better. His reflexes aren't going to get any better to do this. It would be gimmicky stuff. In terms of Logan Paul, let me say it again. We're giving him a lot of airtime here, and he's gotten airtime everywhere else. I don't know who he fights. If he fights a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight that's a boxer that can hit him, that has the same reach, that's a disaster. It's a loss. It's got disaster written all over it. So is the next fight another spoof, another celebrity uh, a former uh, a football player is going to fight Chad Johnson who fought on the undercard of this. And does the public care about that Marquise? I don't know that Jake Paul, I'm sorry, that Logan Paul really has an opponent in it and that this is going to be worth anything to him. Cause keep in mind, he's fought twice now and, and not look good in either fight declared an official loser in the first one to the British YouTuber KSI. And now in this one did not look very good and no one declared a winner in the exhibition. I just don't know that there's a market for Logan Paul in the future, especially on a pay-per-view. Pay-per-view, no, TJ. I don't see anyone forking over money if they forked over money the, the first time for any more of this ever again, to be honest with you. I really think with Logan Paul, it's got to be someone gimmicky like a Chad Johnson. You know, someone it's, it's got to be someone on the celebrity boxing circuit. It's got it's going to be the horse shacks or or whatever have you that's going to come out of the woodworks to, to uh, face this guy. But I, in terms of actual boxing matches, no, nah, because uh, he, he's he's very limited in what he does. And it's no way that they would set him up for anything along, along those lines. All right, so the reporting midweek from Mike Coppinger, who's, who tends to be on this as a boxing insider from The Athletic, uh, the phraseology that he used is that the Mayweather-Paul generated in excess of a million pay-per-views. Okay, so we parse words now. Uh, generated a million-plus pay-per-views. Okay, we're waiting for the final tabulation if it ever comes free on how much of that was streamed, how much of that was through pay-per-view services with cable companies, with satellite providers like DirecTV, Dish Network, etc. Uh, they had technical problems with Mayweather Paul last Sunday night where there were thousands, mm -hmm. and we may never know the true number, Marquise, you know this, it may have been tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands that had bought the pay-per-view and could not get through in the same time frame of trying to sign in and stream it. They couldn't get through. They're aggravated. They're frustrated. Again, I don't know that Showtime's ever going to admit this or we're ever going to really find out how many people got a refund. 
from this. So when you talk about pay-per-view buys, doesn't that have to factor in if it's tens of thousands, a hundred thousand, or maybe more that are angry and got their money back, then we got to, then we got to walk back what the paying customer total was, right? We do, TJ. Now, that's going to be something that's going to be uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll never know on the bottom line or the final audit, whatever have you, only because, TJ, there was a lot of people Sunday night complaining, so much so Showtime had to put out something on social and every other media outlets. Hey, uh, we're, we're working on the issue. We'll get to it as fast as possible, like like pretty much when your internet runs out or anything else that goes down where it's like, oh, here's the here's the signal, guys. Uh, we're, we're working on it. Or like when DoorDash, uh, the, the system runs out, we can't order any food. It's, it's the same process that you run through, TJ. But I always wonder with that because – because I really wonder, was Showtime even prepared to have, say, for example, they had this many buys, either they, either they weren't ready for it, or my thinking, TJ, is the latter, is that, that the weather and mother nature caused a lot of issues for the Showtime telecast, the broadcast from Miami with the weather, and it probably caused a lot more of it on that end than anything else. Well, and, and something, and again, this was pointed out in an article uh, by Variety.com, and I was aware of this from other stuff. There have been other events where they've had trouble with the amount of people trying to stream it at the same time and trying to log in, and how much bandwidth do you have to suddenly take on, hypothetically, 50,000, 100,000, 250,000 people trying to log in at the same time and sign in at the same time and start their stream at the same time. And what happens when that happens? And so Variety listed that even in the Grammy Awards on CBS and their Paramount Plus app back in March, I believe it was three months ago mm -hmm. from the time that we're talking, uh, when they ran that, it was either March or February, there were problems. There were also previous problems um, in streaming other events like the Super Bowl, like the Final Four, uh, etc. with everybody jamming in at once and people can't get through and they're getting login errors and frustrated. So I don't know. So, I mean, welcome to the new age. Welcome to the 2020s here with the, with the technology uh, and how much they're going to have to refund uh, that from a, from a technical standpoint. Here's another point that I want to make on this for all the talk about new audience and new fans that would be brought to the sport. All right, so Logan Paul has 24 million Twitter followers. That is roughly 20 times what most of the prominent boxers have. He has mm -hmm. over 20 million Instagram followers as well. A lot of that's the same people, the same crowd. So if this pay-per-view, this is just common sense and the numbers, only did somewhere in the neighborhood only of a million buys, which a million buys is not terrible if that's what it is, but still run the numbers. That means that out of 24 million Twitter followers, how many new viewers did they get to watch a Mayweather exhibition with Logan Paul? Obviously it's not even 10% of his following, 5% of his following, or even 3% of his following that followed through to buy this. So that part didn't work. Now, you and I have been around long enough to know this. I've been doing this for 30 plus years in sports media, local, national, whatever. I never believed, Marquise, there were going to be 3 million, 5 million pay-per-view buys for this. But if there weren't at least a couple of million, if there weren't at least, let's say, 2.5 million, then that means Logan Paul's end didn't translate into new audience coming in to buy pay-per-view because he's got so much of it 
they didn't care. Either that or another argument could be made, and I want your thought on all of this, that a lot of them were streaming maybe illegally, pirating, they don't count on the official count, or they only cared to watch social media clips, his clips on Instagram, his clips on Twitter, and they said, forget it, I'm not paying $50 for whatever this is, I'll just catch it later in the night or the next day. But it clearly, you, you follow me that it didn't translate into 2 million, 2.5 million buys, despite his massive online appeal and following. All right, what do you have to say to all of that diatribe? Uh, interesting, TJ. Uh, the, back to your first point. Uh, you mentioned how uh, the, 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 the the sporting of the, the, the events, the Super Bowl, the Grammys, and this past event uh, all had issues uh, with streaming. I want to uh, bring that one back as well because all those it all have in common that these are all part of uh, the CBS Viacom family of networks and the conglomerate <laughs> all from the top down. So that's going to be the issue of that end of it. So they need to fix that from corporations up. Uh, the second part of it also. Are, are you saying uh, we love to use the phrase in the South? We're having a come to Jesus meeting with whoever's helping cbs and paramount plus with the streaming it's a come to jesus meeting that we're probably having can we get this figured out continue on absolutely and also a uh, point to tj with, with, uh, with logan paul's following because he was the b-side in all of this that was the the following that i thought was supposed to be at this sporting event which, which may explain why there was really nobody there because there was nobody there and i really also think tj's uh pay-per-view wise i think everyone in their grandma was bootlegging this and so much so that they even acknowledged as much on the broadcast i think uh <laughs> when Morrow uh, uh, passed it off to, off to uh, Deuce and Merrow because those, those were the, 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 uh, the analysts at ringside for the main event. I think they even said, like, at one point, shout out to all the memes and the people who were illegally streaming this fight. So they, they know what's going on. <laughs> they know what's going on with this. And no one, no one was really probably paying for this. Because this, the TJ, this was one of those cards. For 50 bucks, there's no value on this card. You really were paying for this to see the experience, to see what Mayweather was doing, what he was working out to at the main event, which was Migos. And that was it. Like, you're pretty much paying 50 bucks for Mayweather Paul. Everything else on this card was, I mean, unless you were that hardcore of a boxing person, and I think I am, TJ, but Badu Jack, Derwin Colina wasn't exactly making me fork over my wallet. Of course. So it's, so it's a lot of that going on with this. All right. Do you believe, numbers. just one more, and I promise we're moving on in the Big Fight Weekend podcast, and again, hang in here because you're going to want to hear the documentary doctor, documentary director for the Showtime docuseries, The Kings, uh, Leonard Hagler, Hearns, Duran, the four-part series, part two coming Sunday. Matt Whitecross is the director. You're going to want to hear him in a few minutes. But Marquise and I are going to get to a little news of the week in just a second. But one more on this. One more time, if I didn't get you to articulate it uh, uh, well enough, I just want it once more. Do you believe this will run its course? No more Logan Paul, even his brother Jake Paul, the celebrity boxing thing. I mean, it's one thing if the former legends are fighting, like the rumored, uh, now it's Mike Tyson rumored to be fighting Lennox Lewis maybe this fall uh, in a legends. It's one thing if it's that, but in terms of the celebrity thing, do you believe it has virtually run its course here almost, or it will be as this year finishes out? And this is not something that as a whole and with the Paul specifically is going to be a 2022 thing or a 2023 thing anymore. No, TJ, I think this is kind of going to be like a fad where certain fighters can get away with these exhibition shenanigans, but for more often than not, like the grand scale of all of these guys and these YouTube fights being main events and whatnot, I think those days really are kind of running up a number, TJ. And it's also fun because... This fight card that Mayweather Paul pushed off the Tiafimo Lopez card to to, uh, the, to the 19th, and this card this past Sunday wasn't very successful. So I can only imagine 
how this Lopez Cambosis card is going to come up to in a few weeks, and we're, we'll we'll find out. But uh, it, it doesn't look good on the outside looking in. Well, and again, the Lopez World Lightweight Title fight—that is no celebrity fights. Help me here, but it's got two or three quality other boxing matches, and they are going to do the concerts, but they're going to do the concerts before the fight card, if my understanding is correct, on Saturday night, the 19th, and that's Triller putting that on, and we'll see how that goes because, again, Triller's last broadcast with the Jake Paul Ben Askren main event was beyond a marathon. It was beyond uh, laborious, beyond painfully long, where they were mixing the concerts in between celebrity fights and an actual fight. So Triller's trying a different formula here of do the concerts and then do a full three or four fight card of legitimate fights. And let's see if that helps their broadcast, helps their pay-per-views, or maybe that one's going to flop as a Triller pay-per-view and they're basically going to have to wave the white flag on the whole fight club thing on how to make that work. Don't know. Don't know what's going to happen with that to your point. And again, uh, Lopez and Cambosa is coming in a couple of weeks right there back in Miami. And they are Marquise going to have fans at the Marlins stadium, the baseball indoor stadium. What kind of crowd will they have for that? Because again, uh, Cambosis is an Australian. Uh, Lopez is a Honduran born New Yorker. H- how much of a crowd are they going to have come see that? Are there going to be 10,000 people there? For that fight card, that's very ambitious after what we just didn't see for Mayweather-Paul in the same market. Uh, We'll find out. All right, we do know this. There's much more interest in the WBC heavyweight title fight, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. News this week um, about that fight coming July 24th. Marquise, follow up because we've written about it on the site. The official announcement will be made next week. We're learning more about the venue. Marquise, pick it up. Absolutely, TJ. It's looking like a better card on paper so far heading into this. They're pretty much making the pay-per-view portion at all heavyweight contests so far, which is a up major upgrade from the fight card last, TJ, of the, this uh, Wilder Fury 2 of, of, of up and down. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because one of those fights on there, TJ, is the rematch, rematch of uh, Robert Helena's and Adam Konaki in a fight that Konaki uh, was, was supposed to win, got upset by Helena's back in 2019 before everything broke out. That's on, that's on this list of uh, F.A. at Jogba, number one of my favorites as well, is on this list as well. Yep. And a crossroads fight against Frank Sanchez. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, of course, the main event is Wilder Fury. And the, it's, I'm, TJ, I'm actually looking forward to this. There's a lot of really solid, solid heavyweights on this so far. And, and you're going to mix and match, if I can interject, PBC heavyweights with top rank heavyweights uh, mm-hmm. on a couple of these fights, including the Fury-Wilder main event. It's going to be a joint pay-per-view effort in the United States from Fox and ESPN premier boxing champions and ESPN top rank uh, on that. Interesting though, that they've apparently moved off of Allegiant stadium, the Las Vegas Raiders stadium and the, the massive crowd they could have 40,000, 50,000 if they could sell the tickets. It was revealed at the Nevada athletic commission meeting earlier this week, Marquise from their executive director from Bob Bennett that top rank no longer and PBC no longer wanted at Allegiant Stadium. They essentially wanted at the T-Mobile Arena right on the Las Vegas Strip. T-Mobile Arena seats about 18,000, 17, 18,000 for boxing. It's also the hockey home of the Vegas Golden Knights who are in the Stanley Cup playoffs as we're taping this podcast right now. But the Knights will be done by the time you get to July 24th. 
What do you make of it not being in the football stadium and being in an arena? And if it's the T-Mobile arena, maybe the MGM Grand Garden arena where the first or actually the second Wilder Fury fight was held. What do you make, what do you make of all that? Interesting, TJ, that we need to start fact-checking Bob Arum more often than not, but we won't because he's 89 years old and no one just no one fact-checks the elderly in this country, TJ. This is the way it is. Uh, <laughs> the, the reason because what, what he because he started this, TJ. He, Bob mentioned in an ESPN report. He tells these guys pretty much what, every what to say all the time because it's top ranking. It's ESPN. They're in bed together. Uh, he he threw out there to put them to say that this is going to be happening at Allegiant Stadium. More often than not, TJ, we all know what happened. Uh, either either uh, the, the folks who run the Legion Stadium wanted too much money or they wanted to cut back on it, so they chose the next best venue, which, which will probably take a lot less off the top. And here we are at the T-Mobile Arena, as opposed to even that or even the MGM Grand, for example. So, Well, to that point, uh, so, okay, so earlier this week, our friends at BoxingScene.com and Jake Donovan did a great job of getting the facts, the figures, and the revenue uh, from the Texas authorities and through Freedom of Information, et cetera that essentially the live gate generated in terms of paid customers only only about nine million dollars for canelo alvarez billy joe saunders despite sixty-three thousand tickets being sold that hmm. roughly means that the average ticket for the sixty-three thousand was somewhere around a hundred and thirty dollars something like that all right nine million not completely insignificant i get that but nine million is not even anywhere close to what Wilder Fury did the second fight in Vegas at the MGM Grand, where they made like 17, 16, 17 million yeah. off the 16 or 17,000 that were there because it was roughly $1,000 a ticket average in the smaller arena. And I'm sure that's what Aram and Top Rank and Al Heyman and PBC are looking at. Okay, if our math says that Allegiant Stadium means 45,000 tickets, but our average ticket sale price is only 100 or 120 bucks, and we leave $8, 10000000 million on the table because of the live gate because of that, because there's not more demand, smaller arena, fewer tickets. It's a business. And what do we always say? Follow the what? Follow the what? Follow the money, TJ. Always follow the money. And it, it's funny with, with uh, that as well, because it is going to be a smaller venue. They can do that up more up with the upfront. I'm looking forward to seeing, as mentioned before, TJ, because the interest for this third Wilder Fury fight, I think it's still there, despite what everyone's complaining about, where it's like, well, it's not this uh, Fury Joshua stuff, but you can't be mad at a fight that wasn't going to happen. So, and this one's happening, and we'll get the official announcement for it next Tuesday. <laughs> yes, it is coming. Uh, for July 24th, everything on track and the training camps ongoing. And while we're talking about Fury and Wilder coming in July, you know, Nevada is starting to open back up as we're making reference to. And we've got a brand new sponsor to tell you about as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast and BigFightWeekend.com. And that is the Cosmopolitan Resort of Las Vegas. The Cosmopolitan is a unique luxury resort hotel and casino, and it's right in the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. And it's like no other hotel and resort on the Las Vegas Strip. In fact, the Cosmopolitan wants you to know that you can book your stay right now with everything starting to open up. 
Get their one-of-a-kind restaurant collection over 12 different restaurants and food stops right within the Cosmopolitan. Very trendy, very upscale, world-class chefs that are involved, stylish art and designs, vibrant nightlife if you're into that sort of thing. They've got boutiques. They've got the pool district. They've got over 100,000 square feet of casino and sports book. They've got their Sahara Spa Salon and Hammam. It's all an unforgettable luxury experience with the Cosmopolitan. And again, whether we're talking about the fights, the Stanley Cup playoffs that are ongoing in Las Vegas, if you're just going out for vacation or whatever it is, the Cosmopolitan. We cannot stress enough. The Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Find them at CosmopolitanLasVegas.com as as we are thrilled to have them as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast and BigFightWeekend.com. You're going to be hearing much more about the Cosmopolitan in the coming days and weeks and months. The Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Check them out at CosmopolitanLasVegas.com. All right, one more before we're going to get to Matt White Cross here on the podcast from the Showtime docuseries, the the Kings, the Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearns, Roberto Duran docuseries with episode two coming on Sunday night. Plenty of plugs for our friends at Showtime and that fantastic docuseries. The Matt White Cross interview coming up in just a couple of moments. Speaking of the unified heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua, it looks like he will finalize the deal we'll have an announcement next week we'll have an announcement next week with alexander Usyk, the former cruiserweight world champion unbeaten number one ranked wbo contender this fight for september now apparently going to be outdoors tottenham hotspur stadium soccer stadium north london um all right so what do you make of that does it surprise you that it's going to be all the way in september when they were looking at potentially having fury joshua in August, that they wouldn't go ahead and have Joshua and or uh, yeah, Joshua and Usyk in August. Does it surprise you that they're apparently waiting until mid to late September now for this fight? That part's a little intriguing, TJ, because it, essentially what will happen with this Joshua Usyk fight is the winner of that fight, uh, let it be Joshua and or Usyk. That the person's not fighting to close out the year. So if if they, if they ever want to fight the winner of Wilder Fury, it's going to be happening sometime in. 2022 if and when that supposedly happens supposing who wins okay let me interject again depending on how long the fight takes let's say Mm -hmm. it's a joshua easy could be quick win theoretically he could fight fury or wilder like in january if you wanted to maybe february but probably january about three four months later something like that you could make that work but i hear what you're saying you're you're basically writing off november or december if you're waiting all the way to september for joshua Usyk, right yeah, no, they're pretty much pushing this out for this is the one fight for Joshua for the year. And I really think they're making it a, a bigger deal. And, and Eddie Hearns has just been pretty much waiting out to make it as a bigger deal because uh, Joshua was one of the few holdovers from that from this, uh, that, that that Sky Sports pay-per-view deal. And they're pretty, he's part of the pay-per-view model. And you get to get as much money as you can possibly for the heavyweights. So I, I see I see why they're waiting so long on that aspect of it because he's still waiting for this fight to take place in, in the UK whenever they had ease up their restrictions. But it's going to take them forever for that to happen, and here we are. And again, it's worth repeating once more, this deal is not completely done, just like the Joshua Fury deal was never completely done and signed off on. And it's like the uh, the little boy that cried wolf over and over again, where 
Forgive us if none of us want to listen to. We'll have an announcement next week. We're going to sign something next week because we heard that over and over and over again. Maybe we'll believe that Joshua Usyk is happening when they're actually in the ring, whenever that is, uh, somewhere down the road. So we'll find out on that. Marquis, stand by. More coming up with you, including Shakur Stevenson in action this weekend. The top-ranked Las Vegas main event will be Saturday night. Uh, we're looking forward to that fight and the other fight cards. And Marquise will have some odds uh, with me. We'll go over that. Uh, we'll also go over some of the historical perspective anniversary fights from this past week. But straight ahead, Matt Whitecross will be with us for the Showtime docuseries The Kings on Leonard, Hagler, Hearns, and Duran. All of that coming up. Stay with us. But first, we're brought to you by our friends at WinBet, bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, sports, and games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today. You'll receive a special offer for up to $500 risk-free on a sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at winbet.com. And download the app today. Again, that's wynnbet.com. And we're brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. You can find the best odds on the NBA championship and the Stanley Cup futures when you buy directly from other bettors like yourself. If you see a ticket you like but think the price is too high, submit a bid for the price you think is fair and then buy it. PropSwap is making it easy to profit off these playoffs by trading in and out of teams in the postseason as everything progresses. Every ticket purchased on PropSwap can be resold at any time. Here's an example. Last week, PropSwap customer had a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup future for $45 when the team was down 3-1 to against Toronto. And the Maple Leafs, of course, blew the lead and lost in Game 7. And a few days later, the ticket flipped for $600. With PropSwap your bet doesn't have to win in order to make money. It just needs to improve. Think of it like the stock market, but for sports betting. Use our promo code SGP and your first deposit on PropSwap gets you up to $500 in bonus cash. Go to PropSwap.com, download the PropSwap app, and remember our promo code SGP. All right, guys, nobody is perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. You can go to GetRoman.com SGP now. And with Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional works with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, and most importantly, it's discreet. Get started by simply going to GetRoman.com SGP, and you can complete an online visit there. Take care of ED without even leaving home. Complete an online visit today, connect with a doctor, get it taken care of. Go to GetRoman.com SGP and get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of ED. It's GetRoman.com SGP. Get started now. Save $15 on your first month of treatment. GetRoman.com SGP. 
And guys and gals, it's out. The SGPN app is now live in the App Store and the Google Play Store, and the app gives you easy access to all of the picks and podcasts from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of shows. Plus, the app is the exclusive way to enter all the SGPN contests, including the SGPN $1,000 NBA Finals free roll. Download the app, hit the contest tab, and get a chance to take home $1,000 off the NBA Finals free roll. Don't forget to go in and leave an app review and make sure you download the SGPN app in the Google Play or the Apple Store today. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. As mentioned, I have been as amped as anybody for these episodes of The Kings, the four-part documentary that is out now on Showtime. Episode two coming at the time that we're taping this interview on Sunday night on Showtime, the second of the four-part series. And who better to help me get more insight into this, into the how, into the why, uh, the full background, the guy that's d- the director of the four-part series, The Kings on Showtime, Matt Whitecross is his name. And Matt joins us now on the Big Fight Weekend podcast from England uh, here weighing in on the four Kings. Matt, it is good to have you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, so uh, the first thing that I always ask somebody involved in a long-term project, how did you become interested how did you become involved in this four-part documentary series that, that has now unfolded over the course of, of the last couple of years, I'm sure? How did you initially become interested and involved, Matt? Well, it's, it's a funny one for me because I'm definitely an outsider to boxing. Like, I, I, like most people, I watch the big fights. I'm aware of it. I, I love Muhammad Ali. I've read loads of books on him. I, the Tyson era was when I was growing up enough to be able to watch fights, so... This era, the Four Kings era, is slightly too early for me. But I, my background is all different. My background was making films about politics and about music, and this was new. And I got approached, we did a film about the band Oasis a couple of years ago. And the producers came back with a bunch of different projects. And each time it wasn't really a good fit for me. It didn't feel quite right. And then they came with this one. And I just fell in love immediately with the story of these four guys. I knew them vaguely. Like I knew that some of the fights I'd probably seen clips from. That was it. And so I said, I'm, I'm probably the best or the worst person on the planet to make this show. Because I really am coming in with an outsider's perspective. I'm going to have to do my work going in. But they said that was fine. You know, they liked the idea of someone coming in and maybe asking a bunch of naive, but hopefully provoking questions of the interviewees. And yeah, it was a real privilege. It was a world that I didn't know that much about. And I had to discover as we went along. So I again I love beginning in the stages. How long ago did the interview process and the, the information gathering process begin, especially when you weren't as familiar as fight fans obviously are, or some filmmakers are very familiar with whatever the subject is? So how long ago did that process have to begin? Yeah, it was about a couple of years ago, uh, maybe just over two years ago. And What's happened normally on the projects that I've worked on is like you sit there and you talk about the project and you try and get it made and you wait for the green light for months or years. And then suddenly says someone gives you the cash and then says, right, we need it next week. And with this, it was the other way around. You know, we went to go and meet Showtime. We went to meet those guys in New York. 
And they said, look, we want you guys to take your time over it. We're not in a rush. Uh, do your homework. Go and meet everyone. Find out what the stories are. Find out what the stories people don't know are. So I had about three or four months just to go and do a, you know, a PhD in boxing in the Four Kings. I spent a lot, a lot of time reading, a lot of time speaking to people on the phone. And then we started traveling around. So the first, the initial interviews probably took place about a year and a half ago. And first of all, we talked to background people. We talked to people who were promoters and managers and people who were, you know, fans. And then gradually circled our way back around to, to the boxers and the people who were close to them. And it was, it's slow, that process. And I, I always have an element of a degree of humility coming into any project, whether it's about a musician or about a boxer or about anyone, because yeah, I don't have a God-given right to tell their stories and I'm sure they have a million other offers. So we, and, and, and it's tricky as well, because I think like with bands who've been together, but even more so these four guys, there's, there's a lot of history there. And people were said, look, if you approach one of them first, the other one won't like it and then they'll pull out. So there was a little bit of that, there was caginess going on, but you know, so we just approached everyone at the same time. I said, look, we're going to be honest about it. This is what we want to make. Where are you, are you in or are you out? And there's different degrees of uh, separation, like with big bands. Like I've worked with the Rolling Stones and U2 in the past. And, you know, you don't just get to Bono on the first call. You have to speak to someone who speaks to someone and then you get there in the end. And it's the same with the Four Kings. You know, there's various layers of entourage and management often. So we had to go through that process. So it wasn't quick. You gave me so much right there. All right, so I'm going to kind of weave in off of your answer. So I take it that you were there some. Now, obviously, in documentary one that's already aired, and full disclosure, I have seen the first three because they've allowed certain media and certain people to have access. I've seen the first three. I am saving the fourth one. I'm going to make you smile, Matt. I'm saving the fourth one for the week of. I want to get into it the week of that the rest of the public is going to see it. Um but you have, having seen the first one, you have old interviews with the fighters speaking about whatever the subject is, first person, their thoughts. And then obviously you had an opportunity to come and interview them as well. Now, were you sitting there on a lot of these, if not all of these, sitting across from them, getting to hear them with the answers? And if so, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was so every single person who we interviewed, we interviewed in person with the exception of uh, Bob, Bob Aram. And that was only because of COVID. So I was due to fly over. To, well, I went over to fly, flew over to Vegas to meet him the first time. And I was filming out there doing some work with, uh, with Coldplay, with the band Coldplay. And so we tried to line it up and then he couldn't do it the last minute. Um, he had like a, an emergency that happened. So I flew back and then I was about to fly out again. And he, and then he, he, he COVID happened and Bob is like, is tough. He was like, no, 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 it's come out anyway. And I, I really didn't want to be the person who ended up killing Bob Aram. So I, so we did it down the line and he was amazing, but that was the, that was the only one we didn't do in person. Interesting. Okay. So you said you sat there across from Bono on a U2 interview. Did you get no, to sit across? No, you too. No, I've met Bono various times, but I know okay. that was a project where I came to direct some stuff. For them. All right. So you've sat across from him. You've sat across from the Coldplay guys and some other celebrities, but then you're sitting across from Sugar Ray Leonard, right? You're sitting across from Roberto Duran. You're sitting across yeah, from some of these guys. Yeah, no, we had two out of the four in the end. So it was a slow process. So we ended up, we got Roberto through his family. I think it was the connection. Tommy, we got through Jackie Callum. And again, that wasn't like, we went through various different people. And then we interviewed Jackie just to talk to her anyway. And then she, and she said, look, have you spoken to Tommy yet? And we were like, well, it's been a little bit sticky. It's been tricky. You know, we met him, then it's happening, it's not happening. So we did that through Jackie. With... 
with Ray and with Marvin, basically the issue was exactly that, that it's like, well, Marvin, if you do it with Marvin, Ray won't do it. If you do it with Ray, you know, it's a bit, so it was each time it was tricky. And I thought at one point we were definitely going to do it with both of them. Then I heard, oh no, Marvin's like holding his cards close to his chest. He wants to consider. Then the next thing was like, we're definitely doing Ray. And I was like, okay, well look, if, if, it's, if it's either or, let's just, just do it with one of them. But in the meantime, we'd spent so much time doing all this research. We had so much material that we'd kind of cut it and finished it. But I just felt like, look, for my own personal satisfaction, I want to go out and interview them anyway, obviously. And then at a certain point, I think we had tickets booked. Then COVID hit. Then the next thing was like, no, actually Ray, I think he wants to go and do, do his own thing. And again, it was like, okay, well, it's disappointing, but we had so much stuff. I mean, he was one of the most interviewed people in history, sure. um, certainly in sports. So, so we, we may do without, but it's, um, yeah, Roberto and with Tommy, that was in, like an incredible experience. It was one that I, I can't really think of anything that matches it because, you know, with Roberto, he came in and stayed over for a few days with his family in London. We got to hang out. He has problems because of the car crash he, ha- he had a few years back, which ended his career. Otherwise, he'd probably still be fighting. He used me as like a human crutch. So I would just, I was there and he was, you know what he's like. He's amazing. He's like a force of nature. So we hung out, we went to the cinema, we went for food. He's got a million stories. Most of them probably unrepeatable. But, um, oh, there's yeah, a couple. There's a couple fantastic. in the documentary where where he's talking about the reasons why the uh, the second fight deal got made with Leonard. I, I won't tip that, but that's in episode two. That's coming on Sunday night as we talk with Matt uh, Whitecross, the director of the Kings, the four pot documentary. Uh, Duran tells the story. I'll just tease it for everybody, and Matt's gonna laugh. He tells a story about how the deal was made, how he was in downtown Miami, who was involved, who he was with, what they did to go celebrate, and how he got the deal done. And you will want to watch it and see it because I, I 1,000% believe it from Roberto Duran that that's exactly what happened on how that on how that got made, on how the second fight happened so fast uh, after the first fight uh, in 1980. Again, I could sit here and talk to you for an hour about this, but I'm going to hone it in a couple of more ways and then we're going to get out of here um, on this. So many people are gravitated to the Hagler Hearns first round. And so it, things built obviously to those two fighting in 1985, once Leonard and Duran had fought, once Leonard had fought Hearns, and once Her, uh, Hearns had knocked Duran out and and Hagler had beaten Duran. Okay, now it's Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns, essentially. Um, At what point, because obviously fight fans know that and they knew that 35 years ago, how great that first round alone was. At what point did you become aware of that fight? Was it only recently? Did you know about that first round? And how epic was it to retell the story, Matt? It was amazing. It was amazing privilege. Um, yeah, I knew of the fight. Like, I think, you know, you, you grow up knowing about these things in the same way you probably know about, like, Beatles songs. You can't remember the first time you heard them. So I've seen the fight, and it's pretty quick. So it's not, it's not a difficult one to brush up on. But then when you go back and rewatch it, and you see the interviews, and you hear all the, the, everything that's going on, I, had, I didn't realize that Tommy had fractured or broken his hand with that punch, which should have been, on any other skull in the planet, would have probably been a knockout punch. But on Hagler, Hagler just kept coming. And then, and then all the different things that are going on psychologically. You know, we had a cut of that fight, which lasted as long as the whole episode. And then we had to keep on compressing it and compressing it. So there's a lot of stuff we couldn't include. But it is unbelievable. We tried as much as we could just to let it play out and let people 
at certain points to slow it down because it's so fast just to know what's going on inside the fighters' heads, but otherwise just to let people watch it. And, and the great uh, American commentator Barry Tompkins has the line on the call with Ray Leonard. This is still the first round about a minute or a minute and a half into it. And I know from talking to media people that were there, obviously I'm younger and was not a part of boxing media at that point. I'm a fan. They were looking at each other uh, watching that first round and could not believe where's the bell. Is this, is this not, you know, a five minute round an eight minute round that they're still clobbering each other at this rate in the first round of the fight. So uh, just incredible to relive this stuff again, uh, Matt Whitecross with us. The, the Kings is the documentary four part series episode two, which again is building off of Roberto Duran having beaten Sugar Ray Leonard to cliffhang on episode one. Episode two is out Sunday night. And then for the next two successive Sunday nights, episode three and episode four uh, will come out. Uh, and again, all of these guys and their willingness to fight each other. And that's where the big money was. It's what made the 80s so great uh, for all this. OK, a couple more fun ones that I love throwing at filmmakers. What did you think that you knew? And then suddenly you got into this and it's like, man, I was wrong or man, pleasantly, man, I, I thought I had that right. But this is totally different than what I thought. Give me something for you again, coming in fresh and interviewing these people and compiling what you compiled that you thought was one way and maybe it turned out to be different. Was there something? Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, you read all the different accounts and a lot of them, uh, you know, kind of contrast with each other. You read one book, it says one thing. There's a lot of legend that goes on. So I'd heard all the different versions of each story. And then it was a question of putting them back to the fighters. So it wasn't like they came up with stuff that I'd never heard of before. It's more they pushed it in one direction and tried to confirm something. For example, you know, like there's a million and one versions of why uh, Duran pulled out in No Mass. But then to actually hear him and have him go back and revisit it. And because I'm, my family is Argentinian, so we can speak in Spanish to each other. So it's great. We just see there's a kind of level of communication when he's talking about it. Plus, we always made a point of only doing audio interviews rather than doing talking heads. So you just relax and you forget the mic's there, which I think really helps. So you're not under pressure and you can speak honestly. So that was, it was nice. I'd never heard him put it that way. And this idea of just kind of like, listen, in that moment, you have this moment of madness and you've been paid. Like no one ever made that mistake with Duran again, but he, the money was in the bank. So it's like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? This is not going my way. This guy's messing around. Why, why am I get, bothering getting hit? So that was kind of thing. But also I think what I loved about meeting people in the boxing community was their, their honesty. Like the, the, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stories about boxing and how corrupt and how, you know, obviously how dangerous it is, all these things. But actually when I started talking to people about that, they were very happy to talk about all this stuff. They were like, yeah, that's kind of, in some ways, that's part of the attraction. You know, it, is, it can be a murky world, but then the glorious highs only come if you have those lows as well. So I like that about it. And I, I felt kind of conflicted going into it. Like, I don't really know how I feel about boxing. Like, I love it. I love watching it. It's amazing. Like the... The achievements, the athleticism is incredible. But then you can also see the damage further down the line in many different ways. And everyone was fine about it. You know, we'd sit there and talk for the first 10 minutes of each interview, just going, okay, what do you make of, like, what is it? You've dedicated your life to this sport. Tell me, tell me all the highs, but tell me all the lows. And, and people were unbelievably honest, which I think is rare. You know, when people talk about the murkier sides of their industries, normally they're like, they're a little bit hesitant, but people were pretty open with it. You know, I, th I think one thing that, uh, again, I didn't appreciate as much, and your documentary tells the story so well, 
um, is that a lot of people might have the belief that Ray Leonard in particular was a little more well off being brought up in Palmer Park, Maryland, being the Olympic champion. But Ray admits right at the beginning in episode one that aired last week on Showtime, again in the chronology, hey, we were barely surviving and I had to turn pro to help pay the bills. And, and then even then, we're trying to figure out how do I get enough money to be able to make a go of this. And, you know, Duran, again, grew up illiterate. He admits that, not being able to read and write. That's in his, his, his life story. On the streets of Panama, Tommy Hearns, tough background in Detroit. Marvin Hagler, tough background. Almost all the fighters come from a tough background. In Newark, New Jersey, where the mom moved him out of Newark because of how bad it was to move somewhere else. And yet all of these guys became massive successive successes, massive millionaires, it's amazing that all of that intertwined. And that's why it's a four-part documentary, right, Matt? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. And I felt, I think in some ways what we found as we went along in the edit was that they, they are emblematic of that era together. There's not one of them who is the 80s, but I feel like if the 60s and 70s was Ali and then Tyson comes in at the end of this era, there's always the heavyweights that people talk about, but I feel like the four kings together represent different aspects of that era. And so I, I love the opportunity to be able to talk. That rags to riches thing was very 80s and that excess. And they were they started off, like you said, the street kids. I mean, literally in the case of, of Durrani, someone who was homeless and slept rough. And then at a certain point, he comes back and he's treated like a king. He comes back in the presidential plane. At one point, he's having so much fun in New York. He doesn't. He leaves the presidential plane sitting there on the tarmac waiting for him because he's like, no, no, I'll, I'll catch it next week. Go back and see my, my people. And the same for Leonard and same for Hagler Hearns. You know, they're bragging over the size of their private jets and and one, and they won't get in, in a private jet because it's not big enough, you know, and that's five years after they've, they've turned pro. Um, just uh, an unreal experience to relive this. If you're a fight fan, if you're just a sports fan, I mean, again, we can't convey enough in this country how big a deal boxing was at that time post Ali that this was front page of the newspaper, no internet in those days, obviously not just front page of the sports section. This was front page of sports illustrated magazine, the iconic magazine. And you show some of those sports illustrated covers in your documentary. This was the lead story on the news. You keep showing clips of the nightly national news, pre cable news in the United States or worldwide. They're talking about these fights and how big a deal it was uh, to relive them. All right. So I've promoted a lot. Speak to the audience here on the big fight weekend podcast. Tell them more about episode two. First, they need to find episode one and catch up and then tell them more about episodes two, three, and four, starting with episode two this week, why they want to watch, why they want to learn more, because there's a lot of stuff that they maybe don't know that's in the Kings. Yeah. I think simply put, these are four of the greatest fighters ever, like not even just for the U S but like on the planet. And so I think, Aside from that, even if you're not a boxing fan, I think what they ended up representing, their stories are so engrossing. So I came in as an outsider. So I, I feel like I'm a, quite a good indicator of whether these stories connect with the wider audience. And I, I was just blown away. And I think there's something about these four guys, what they had has got an element almost of kind of Greek tragedy in that. What is it that makes you great? Well, that's also what ends up kind of ruining you in the end or destroying you in the end. And so these guys have that element of like, what is it that makes a champion? Well, it's something that means that you're, you will never give up, no matter what the odds are. But it also means when we get further down the line into episodes three and four, maybe when they should have quit, they don't have it in them. Even when everyone from your wife to your manager to your coach is telling you you've got to quit, 
you won't quit even if you're 50. And so, yeah, so episode two is really about the father figures that these guys had who the kind of the new father figures that ended up taking over their lives, sometimes inappropriately, like father figures who probably weren't out for their best interests, like some of the promoters and the, and the, and the managers. And then in part three is about, we had these two great stars in Duran and in Leonard and suddenly they disappear, they're gone. And who's left? Well, we have these two street kids from Newark and Detroit who really represent the underclass, who represent something that was at that time had been neglected by Reagan's America. And they come to this fight, which is like you said, now considered possibly the greatest first round in history. Certainly one of the, one of the greatest, certainly for that weight. And it takes over and it turns out and it doesn't go the way that anyone expects, probably not even the two fighters. And then, so in the aftermath of that, it's like, well, what do you do towards the end? There's this grudge match that's been coming for 10 years, which is um, Hagler versus Leonard. Leonard's had to retire because of illness and he comes back. And it's like, it reminds me of that scene in Heat with Robert De Niro driving to the airport. Like Hagler is the greatest fighter of all time. He's amazing, he's done it. He's got everything he wants and he's ready to retire. But there's one thing left to do in his life and Leonard comes back and it's just too tempting. And you're like, don't do it, don't do it. But he, he can't help himself. You are speaking my language as a longtime Al Pacino and Robert De Niro fan, love heat. And my man, Matt Whitecross makes the reference to uh, Neil is the character at the end where he cannot leave on the private airplane with the clean getaway with the girlfriend and get away with the money. He's got to leave the one last detail uh, finished up and it's his undoing. And that's kind of the same thing again with Hagler wanted to have that last say so that I'm the I'm the best ever. I want to fight Leonard. Um, and that is, again, building in the final episode of the Kings, the fourth and final one. The second one, again, at the time that we're interviewing Matt is this Sunday on Showtime. Again, I repeat, for promotional purposes, you can go back and watch the first one. It's available on Showtime on demand as well in and around the time the episode debuts. The Showtime app, find it online. But again, you're rolling them out in order. They're not going to be able to see three until three is ready. They're not going to be able until the final week to see four until four is ready. Uh, they need to do this. They absolutely need to do this to see the stories and to see the stuff. All right, a couple of a couple of more just real quick. Uh, you have to have your own opinions uh, here. Out of the four kings, do you really believe, because Leonard had the best record, do you believe that Leonard was the best uh, of the Kings, you want to give an opinion on that out of Duran, Hagler, Hearns with him? Leonard has the best record. Does he deserve it's funny. that recognition? Yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it depends on what you're measuring, right? So there's elements of boxes. It's like, yeah, on paper, I'm sure yeah, he is. Like, there's no doubt, like, on paper, he... But having said that, he stepped out of the ring for a long time due to due to injury, and then he kind of came back. And so it's it's a tricky one because I would say if you stop with Duran after that first Leonard fight, He's one of the greatest fighters, hands down, of all time. Like, you know, he was he was probably the greatest lightweight of all time. So that so if he if he'd dropped the mic after Leonard and uh, and Duran won, then he's probably the greatest fighter of all time. <laughs> but he doesn't, so he keeps on going. But that's kind of what I love about him. It's like he's unstoppable. He doesn't care. He'll have the greatest fight of his life one night, and two weeks later, have the worst fight of his life. And he and he he lives in the moment. And I, I, it's funny, it's a bit like with children, like you can't choose a favorite. And I, I, my allegiances shifted as we went along. So we would be working on a whole section about Leonard. And I'm like, he's amazing. I like, and then you discover, and he's very, been very open about some of his demons. You're like, okay, but that right. kind of makes him more complex and more interesting. And, he's, and his honesty is amazing. Then you move into Duran. Duran's like this explosion of energy and fun and madness. 
and then suddenly you fall in love with Duran and then but Tommy's so he's like the shy amazing giant who has this capacity to turn into this you know this warrior when he wants to but then outside the ring he's this very gentle guy and, and that's very sweet and the way he reacts he's carrying the whole of Detroit on his shoulders and then Hagler's just this guy who's like who's decent who's honest who was just did the right thing in a tough corrupt world and there's something very compelling about that that's kind of like it's almost like he's one of those private investigators in uh, you know in the other 40s films are like you know you have Humphrey Bogart as uh, Philip Marlowe he's got that kind of code of honor he's amazing and I I really admire that you know there were sections in the in the show that we took out because of time where he was offered the opportunity uh it would have been very lucrative for him to ditch the Petronellis for that final fight and make 10 times the money. And, he's, and he got very angry and was like, no, no, no I'm not going to do the fight. I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with my guys, which is amazing. So there's something very admirable about that. So on paper, I think you would say, yeah, if you're looking technically, then it's Leonard. But I think, I think that was the appeal of doing all four of them. It's like, I really can't choose. Yeah, that's the uh, the incredible thing about these guys that were all willing to fight each other. They made a ton of money off each other. I heard you say it. You probably could have done like 10 hours worth. If you if you were really given the opportunity, you easily had as much to maybe do eight hours uh, as opposed to four hours. But you condensed it to four hours. It's great stuff. And again, we can't encourage the fans uh, enough. One more for you. So now that you have done this for the last two years, has it made you more of a fight fan? Have, Have you become more of a fight fan, more energized because of doing these? Or do you just remain nostalgic around the project and you're not as much, I, I wonder, as, as a present day fight fan? Yeah, well, that's the thing is the present day thing, because I think you touched on it earlier, this idea of it was everywhere back then. And it was something that everyone talked about. Like even, you know, even your grandmother knew who the champion of the world was if it was a heavyweight, right? And it's not really the case anymore. And I think that was that, it was national TV, wasn't it, right? It was on it broadcast, everyone watched it for free. And it doesn't, that's, that's a very different world to what we have now. So I, yeah, I watched the, the Fury fights. I, I, get, I get into that world and it's great to sit with friends and watch them and have a few beers and just like just hang out and talk about it. But I'm not as engrossed. And I, I, it's not that the stories have gone away. It's just something about the atmosphere of the whole thing. And, I, and also there's just something about these four, I think, particularly that really captured my imagination. But yeah, I've definitely got the bug and I admire, I now having spent time in that world, I admire what they achieved even more than I did on paper before I kind of got into it. I'm using your word admire. I admire the work that you and your colleagues have done on the Kings Showtime four part docuseries. Part two is this Sunday night at the time that Matt and I are talking coming up on Sunday night. You're going to see all about the Nomas rematch. You're going to see about Sugar Ray Leonard fighting Thomas Hearns right after that. And then it then sets into motion the epic Hearns Hagler. And eventually you're building to Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler in the culmination in episode four. But episode two is coming this week. Matt Whitecross, you were fantastic. Thank you for giving me so much time on this. Phenomenal job on the docuseries. I look forward to the awards that it will win. I don't think it's an if. I believe that you will see awards. Uh, Congrats in advance on that. I'm calling my shot. Congrats in advance (laughs) on that. Great stuff. And thank you for the time on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Indeed. Great stuff. Uh, Love the insight from Matt Whitecross. And again, the Showtime documentary, yet another plug in progress. If you missed episode one, go and relive it through the On Demand, through the Showtime app. Episode two coming Sunday night. The next two Sunday nights, we'll have episode three and episode four. And I call Marquise John, senior writer, bigfightweekend.com back in here. We, we, we have to say again, we're not on the Showtime payroll, 
but you and I are all in. All in in capital letters with an exclamation point on this docuseries. And episode two coming on Sunday night. Cannot wait for the public to be able to see this. You and I have had a chance to see it. This picks up again, Marquise, off of Duran having beaten Leonard. So it picks up with the Nomas rematch. Mm -hmm. uh, it picks up then with Leonard and Hearns uh, in episode two. And that brings those two together for the first time. Gold. Gold, tell me, tell me a little more after we just heard from the director there. Absolute gem, TJ, of a documentary series. This Kings, this Four Kings is, and this this second episode that picks up on Sunday on Showtime picks up where that that, that second uh, Duran Leonard fight happens, TJ, and it, and it picks up with, with Roberto Duran's story. And Duran's story on this documentary is so great <laughs> because Roberto Duran is just one of those characters where the the the, the world follows him, and you can tell when he when, he, when they spoke to him on this that that was the case that was happening. And it, it's, it's TJ, I can't stress this to enough because I told you when I watched when we got the, an advanced copy this and i sat and binged this and i it's because it's, it's just so well done it really is well and as matt whitecross told us duran sat with him uh for several days as it turns out and they went and had a meal and went to the cinema as he said the movies together with duran <laughs> he got to really know him to share the stuff and the story again i'm not going to reveal it it's just the tease but the story of how the second fight deal where Duran is at a club in Miami, and then there's an investor, let's just say, that wants to make the second Leonard fight, and what Duran says happened in and around how he agreed, and Marquise knows what I'm talking about. You're smiling yes. and laughing. Duran ends up, let's just say, partying and uh, telling it all, telling everything about how it all came about. you got to watch the documentary now to hear this as the backdrop for leading up to the no Moss fight. One of the most controversial fights in modern boxing history where the great Roberto Duran just said, I don't want to fight anymore. No Moss and why. And, um, and you get some great insight from Duran himself and from the, from the filmmaker, the director, uh, Matt Whitecross on, uh, on exactly that. And then that led to the humongous welterweight title showdown of Leonard against Hearns. Not long after that, the next September, they fought September of 81. We're coming up on the 40-year anniversary of that fight. So mm. you'll see all of that in the Showtime documentary. Um, and again, uh, great stuff from uh, Matt Whitecross. We urge you to find episode one if you haven't seen it. We urge you as well to see episode two coming on Sunday night. Episodes three and four will unveil the next two Sunday nights for the first time. Uh, stand by for those. All right, so let's move off of that. And for our friends at sportsgamblingpodcast.com and their network of shows, et cetera, we're all about looking into the fights for this weekend. I would love to tell the public that we got a big-time championship fight somewhere in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, Guam, I don't know, the moon. We don't have it. Instead, we got a former <laughs> champion in Shakur Stevenson, Marquise Johns, who was in the ring in the ESPN top rank uh, main event in Las Vegas. All right, so tell me more about this fight and uh, and the odds here that we have for Stevenson and his 12-round main event on ESPN uh, and ESPN Plus coming Saturday. Absolutely, TJ. Uh, Jeremiah Nakatia from Ghana uh, is the, uh, the the opponent for Shakira Stevenson uh, out in Las Vegas uh, this Saturday night uh, from the, the uh, Virgin Hotel in the 
on ESPN. And not much known about uh, Jeremiah, TJ, because there's not much tape on the guy. But th- this is a guy that's been waiting for his chance at this WBO uh, type, a variation of this title at 130 for about two and a half years since Jamel Herring beat it from from uh, Mansaki, uh, the judge Mansaki Ito. And one thing about this fight, TJ, that I want to get, make everyone aware of is that this is for the WBO uh interim title at 130 pounds the reason they're making it an interim label for this fight tj is they're still waiting on the official word because i think he sells about two or three more weeks before he wants to decide to do with it uh from jamel herring if he wants to take on the mandatory of the winner of this fight or if he's going to relinquish the title and try to take on oscar valdez uh for the wbc belt one way or another tj uh in the event that jamel herring gives up the title what will happen with the wbo rules and all the sanctioning alphabet shenanigans the way that wbo works is Herring will give up this title. That would make the winner of this fight the new WBO champion at 130 pounds, which should be Shakur Stevenson, TJ, because uh, to quote him in this pre- final press conference that took place on Thursday, I'm not losing the 5-0 was Shakur's exact words. And that's kind of what the story is of uh, Jeremiah and Nicotillo uh, leading into this fight. So not much known about him. Uh, no one knows about his limited competition. He's a legitimate police officer, Nicotillo. Is he, that what the reference yes. is to the 5-0? That's correct. He is an actual police officer. And the only officer I could think off the, off the top of my head, TJ, that reminds me of this was when Roy Jones had as a mandatory, I want to say his name was James Tillis on the old HBO boxing cards. That was a mandatory, which was a pretty bad card too, that Roy <laughs> Jones won like in two rounds. And I remember Lou DeBello saying this is one of the worst WBO <laughs> mandatories ever created. And sure enough, that's kind of what this, is, this feels like on paper going into it. This I, I thought you were going to go maybe WWF wrestling and the big boss man was what you were going to go for cops that are involved in entertainment and events and fights and wrestling or whatever. But I, TJ, I would, <laughs> but unfortunately, Jeremiah, not going to tell you, is not the big boss man or Big Bubba Rogers or even the Mountie at this point. So uh, I'm going to have to. Uh... That's good. So Shakur <laughs> Stevenson, by the way, if you need him, is minus 3,000 to win this fight. And this is a former U.S. Olympian, former world champ, briefly at featherweight at 126, 126 pounds. This is at 130 pounds. And uh, Nakatia is a plus 1100 here. You're saying stay away from Nakatia, right? Yeah, I, I would avoid the main event on this one, TJ, because I think the main event on this one is a, is a non-issue. Uh, Steven, Steven should, should win this by points easily. I really do. Uh, what's on the, what's on the undercard here? The top-ranked Las Vegas show on ESPN is, uh, I know, Jose Pedraza, the veterans on the undercard. Anything of note here, including for short-term investment purposes? Yes. In fact, that's the card I want to mention to you, TJ. The co-main event is Jose Pedraza. I think that's the one live dog out of anything on this card from ESPN on top rank Saturday, TJ. Pedraza is a 175 underdog to uh, their prospect, Julian Hammerhands Rodriguez. Uh, he's the pros- he's the kid. So it's a classic crossroads fight. They're trying to see where he stacks, stacks up against uh, Pedraza, former uh, title challenger. And I think I think Pedraza's not done yet. So I think we'll see what happens with him Uh in terms of this fight and we'll see where he goes from here at, at 140 afterwards julian rodriguez is only minus 220 roughly just over two to one pedraza plus 175 these are again super lightweights uh here this is 140 pound uh non-title fight essentially uh in this one all right again as we go through these with marquise johns here senior writer bigfightweekend.com there is a fight card earlier in england involving Lewis Ritson. You've written some, written about Ritson, R-I-T-S-O-N, the fighter uh, out of the UK. And he's got an unbeaten opponent uh, that he will be taking on. Again, this is uh, earlier in the day in Newcastle, England, DAZN streaming will televise it all over the globe. 
Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's Ponce is the opponent who's unbeaten. Ritson is the Brit. This is a junior welterweight eliminator title fight for the IBF. Tell me more about that main event, and are we interested at all for short-term investment purposes here? Uh, for, for the short term, TJ, uh, financially, no, only because it's Lewis Ritson in a main event. But it, this this is one of those fight cards, TJ, that's going to be a, a trivia question down the line at next uh, sports gambling night. What was the last uh, matchroom card held by Sky Sports? And you can say in the main event, Lewis Ritson <laughs> and Jeremiah Ponce as an IBF 140 pound eliminator. I mean, if this isn't shades, TJ, of HBO Sports and their demise in their final days, I don't know what it is. Right, but. Right. Uh, the one thing on this fight card, uh, Ritson's the favorite. I want to say he's he should be heavily favored on this. There's not much. He's on actually Jeremiah minus two twenty five is what I'm looking at. Ritson, and again, Ponce is unbeaten. Would he have? I mean, we've seen some upsets of some Eddie Hearn main event fighters in his fights in England uh, here, and maybe Ponce might be the latest one that could pull the upset here. Ponce may be the actual live dog in this, TJ. His, his, his competition isn't as bad as I expected for this, considering that it's a, uh, a, a final day's uh, matchroom card. I, I, I was expecting this to be a lot more, more suspect like the rest of the undercard is. Uh, Ponce, actually, TJ, is a live dog in this. He's actually had decent competition in terms of uh, names and numbers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what version of Ritson shows up. He's just not that impressive, TJ, uh, in terms of, uh, of stable fighters. And the, unfortunately for him, the winner of this fight will be slotted for or uh, the IBF mandatory slot at 140 pounds to be fed to the Wolves. Uh, uh, currently uh, with the belt held by Josh Taylor, if he right. stays at 140, which he will be for a while. And this will be a mandatory that would be down the line uh, as well, TJ. Because uh, it's, by it's, the he, way, Ritson, 21 and one in his career with 12 KOs. And again, uh, Ponce, uh, we'll see if this, how much of a challenge this will be um, in this battle. Um it, we, yeah, we'll find out because, again, Ponce unbeaten and uh, an interesting underdog role here. Maybe can pull the upset. Anything else on that matchroom to zone card Sunday afternoon, U.S. time from England? Or it's Saturday, excuse showcase. me, Saturday, Saturday afternoon. I get my, get my uh, Mayweather Paul Sunday on the brain. Saturday afternoon, London to zone. Anything else on the, on the matchroom card? Uh, nothing of, of significance, TJ, because this, this is pretty much a, a matchroom showcase card. I would want to highlight to everybody, uh, heavyweight Alan Babic, just as weird, uh, a funny guy, uh, heavyweight as, that's an action on this. He's in against favorable opposition, so he'll knock somebody out in the second round. But other than that, TJ, this is a this card really is a a a buying time card on on Sky Sports and Matchroom as they kind of as they close up their part of the deal. <laughs> All right. Very good on that. And we got to close out our part of the deal. We've been busy on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I know you always like to say that we are all about it on BigFightWeekend.com. Past, present, future. This is a tremendous week of anniversary fights. From Oscar De La Hoya fighting Julio Cesar Chavez 25 years ago. They fought for the first time. And Chavez ended up being a bloody mess and being stopped in the first of those yeah. two meetings. De La Hoya beating both times and really became the new Mexican or Mexican-American icon off of those wins in the late 1990s. But we had a couple of heavyweight anniversaries. Lennox Lewis knocking out Mike Tyson. That was 19 years ago in my hometown of the River City, Memphis, Tennessee. And also Larry Holmes and Ken Norton in one of the great uh, final rounds of a championship heavyweight fight ever. Maybe the greatest 15th round in a heavyweight title fight ever that didn't have a knockdown between Holmes and Norton. Marquise, what, what about these anniversaries this week? 
Absolutely, TJ. And one thing I wanted to mention, you your hometown fight of Tyson and Lewis. The one thing that always cracks me about that fight card, TJ, and it's always understated. There was some uh, Filipino that opened up the fight card up for uh, HBO pay-per-view back in the day. You may have heard of him. Some <laughs> Manny Pacquiao guy who yep. beat Julio Jones in two rounds. Fun, still wanted to go when, when it was a passing good torch at, at, at the time as well for him. No, great anniversaries, but no, that, that, uh, that, 15, that 15th round of with Ken Norton, still to this day, TJ, always cracks me up because they were just going at it. And it makes you wonder how these guys weren't going down. Like, how is mm. that still possible with Holmes Norton? Where it's like, I, I still to this day, because you, you, I remember you showing me this, this round to me. Haymakers. Absolutely. Uh, so, so let's tell the story just real quick on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. You had not seen that 15th round and you and I were together having a, having a quick bite of dinner and I had my laptop and I said, Marquise, you got to see this 15th round. The anniversary's coming up. And we watch it, and your mouth was open. Luckily, you'd finished your food. Your mouth was yeah. <laughs> open watching them bomb each other with nobody going down in the old Caesars Palace Pavilion, the indoor 5,000-seat pavilion. And I'll tell you one other note from the historical – this is what we love about heavyweights and the history of the heavyweights. You can go back and see this on YouTube and, and relive it. The fight is there. The 15th round is there. In, like, the second row – to the left of the camera in the second row, what a trio standing there. Speaking of the Kings and Roberto Duran, Roberto Duran is standing there just watching these guys rip each other. And he's got Rocky Sylvester Stallone on one side of him and Chevy Chase, the actor comedian on the other side of him. And those three guys are as, as entertaining as the fight. I remember pointing that out to you and I pointed it out to other people. Watch them watching that 15th round because Duran is like shadow boxing. Stallone is shadow boxing. I don't know if Chevy Chase had money on Holmes or Norton, but he's going crazy. It's just great to watch that stuff. Uh, they no, go back and look a- at it. No, TJ, it's one of the greatest rounds ever in boxing, and it really is insane because they, they were they were going at it in the ring, and you can just see in the background, like the, the far off distance, just Roberto Duran shadow boxing. Still, is one of the cooler things ever, actually, because they were. You would have thought he wanted to be in the ring. It reminds me so much of when because when people always mention the Gotti Ward fights. They, right. they, one of the things that makes those fights be- bigger than what they actually are is the fact that Emmanuel Stewart on the commentary is like fully invested of like saying hit the body, hit the body in the fight card. Yes. And, and it's the same thing as well. <laughs> well, and keep in mind now, Duran was the legend as the lightweight, et cetera, but he had not yet beaten Sugar Ray Leonard. This is 1978. He wouldn't beat Leonard for another two years to tie it back to the documentary. But he's there at ringside with Stallone. Rocky had come out and won all the Academy Awards. Chevy Chase, very famous in this country, actor, comedian at that time, had been on Saturday Night Live, had done a movie that you don't know, but I know as a comedy called Foul Play with the actress Goldie Hawn. She was a hottie in the late 70s and the early Mm -hmm. 80s. And he was huge in the late 70s, Chevy Chase. They're standing there watching the fight together. It's classic as Holmes and Norton bomb each other. And you pointed this out in the retro piece. Ken Norton, still the answer to the trivia question to this day. I'm not Deontay Wilder. To this day, to this day, (laughs) Ken Norton is the only guy to ever be uh, a version of the World Heavyweight Championship champion who never won a title fight. They, They bestowed him the WBC belt. This was his first quote unquote title defense with Larry Holmes. And Larry Holmes beat him. And Norton never won a, a title fight before that or after that. How about Man. that? It's great, great Insane. fact and figure. Um, That's great. And, 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And so the anniversaries we love, the the Lewis Tyson in Memphis, Tennessee, at the at the old pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, the one and only time that Memphis has had a world heavyweight title fight uh, was that title fight. And they finally fought after years and years of not fighting and Tyson going to prison. They finally fought in 02 and Lennox Lewis got his knockout of Mike Tyson as Tyson was in the decline. Uh, just watching that fight with his eyes swelling shut, his nose bloodied, he's cut and and Lennox Lewis is just bombing him with big punches at the end of it. That was, I know Tyson fought on as, as Matt Whitecross was saying, these fighters don't know when to stop and they fight on when they're 40 and Tyson's now having exhibition fights at 50. They don't know when to stop, but clearly his skills were diminished and that was painful, painful to watch at the end because he was just being beaten up by Lennox Lewis 19 years ago this, this week in that fight in Memphis, Tennessee, Marquise. Yeah, TJ. No, Tyson got absolutely beaten beaten down by Lennox in that fight. And it was one of those things where you could see where Tyson just wasn't the same guy at all in that ring from like the fourth round on. And you could see when he was walking towards Lewis and you just walking towards him and he was greeted with punches to the face. It was just one right. of those things where it's like, man, Tyson is really not the same guy. And it, it, it only went downhill from here. I, I still remember to this day, TJ, because uh, I was at a I was at a house party when it, we, we when we all saw it live, the uh, the disappointment known as the Kevin McBride victory over Tyson. And you can just see like, and, and there was fights where it's like, Oh man, and that this was guy roughly does. three years after Lewis beat him down. That's like 2005, three more years later yeah. and two or three more fights later. Just not the same, not the same fighter anymore. Not the same reflexes is the same thing. We we're talking about earlier in the podcast with Floyd Mayweather father time gets the best of everybody. You're not going to be the same fighter, not as fast, not as quick, not as elusive. And in Tyson's case, he was such a quick devastating puncher that nobody could handle that when he was in his prime, he was nothing like that at the end of his career anymore. So it was tough to yeah. tough to watch that. But Hey, if you're Lennox Lewis and you're a fan of his, it doesn't matter. He got the knockout. He got the KO. All right, Marquise, we've got to get out of here for this edition of the podcast. Plug away on anything, everything, including the site. Go. Absolutely, TJ. Bigfightweekend.com, your source for all boxing news, past, present, future. We'll keep an eye on what's going on in the world of boxing over out in the UK for this uh, matchroom card this weekend. Uh, Eddie Hearn will be ringside. I'm sure he'll say something about something. I'll keep an eye on that there. Uh, Also, this ESPN card, hopefully they'll roll out as well with top rank the rest of their schedule, TJ, because they, they have two more shows here, this one and the one next week. Uh, the, the two more, no, there's two more. This one, and then there's two after this with the one next week, and then the one after that with Lomachenko on the 26th of, of, for top rank at, at the Virgin Hotels. And hopefully, we'll find out from afterwards where they're fighting after the Virgin Hotels if it's going to be back there again in the fall or somewhere else. But hopefully, we'll get an announcement for that as well. All right. So, again, uh, non title fight cards uh, for this weekend. Check those out. Mm-hmm. And uh, many thanks again to the Showtime folks for providing us with the director, Matt. White Cross documentary episode number two is Sunday night. So enjoy all the fight action Saturday and the Leonard Hagler Hearns Duran second episode of the Kings airs Sunday night upcoming. And we look forward to that for now. We are done. Marquise. Great job. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. DJ. Thanks so much. And we thank you for being with us. However you found us again, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. 
through their network fleet of shows, the social media links, subscribe, subscribe, follow us, find us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Read the website, bigfightweekend.com as well. I'm TJ Reeves from Marquise Johns. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you next week on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye.